Uh, this week we close out our uh, sermon series, uh, Imagine, uh, talking about the parables of Jesus. And so uh, we will, of course, start our, our kind of Christmas series and focus uh, next week. Uh, but this week, Jesus gives us a parable that is particularly challenging uh, because he lets us know some, not difficult truths, but maybe some, some pretty stunning truths uh, about the Christian life, uh, about what God expects from us and what he expects us to do and what he's looking for. And these are things that he's not going to compromise on. And so uh, today we're looking in, in the book of Luke, chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. And it says here, and he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. And so this, I mean, this is just kind of one of those quick parables that gets right to the point, and one of the main things that we see from this is that God demands fruit. I mean, it, there is no question about this. If we are going to walk with God, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, God expects us to progress. He expects some forward movement. Now, does he expect everything solved overnight? No, no, not at all. And, and we'll get into that. But there really is, the truth is God demands that our lives in some way start to reflect his goodness, start to reflect his character, his holiness, his righteousness. There should be evidence that we are walking with him. And he comes looking for that fruit. And you see, the, the parable here, it says, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it. He planted that tree for a reason. Why? He wanted figs. There was a purpose in mind. There was an end goal. There was a reason that he planted that tree. And for three years, he planted it. He took care of it. It, it was alive. It had leaves. There was life there. Yet he kept coming to it looking for the fruit, and it wasn't producing it. And finally, what did he say? He said, cut it down. If it's not going to produce what I planted it for, if it's not going to, to fulfill the reason for which I planted it, then there's no point in it being here. Now, that can sound really harsh, but this is somebody who owns a vineyard. He has other plants that he's taking care of, and he doesn't want this one just simply sucking up all the moisture from the, the, and the nutrients from the soil. And so we think about this going all the way back to the beginning. Even in the Garden of Eden before the fall, God gave man the task of producing fruit in this world. The first command, he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Then it says he took Adam and placed him in the garden to tend it and to care for it. Now what is the point of a garden? To produce fruit. So even before sin entered the world, Think of this. Before there was any sin, before there was any death, man still had the responsibility to produce in this world. 
it is part of our nature. It's what God created us for, is to create something in this world that reflects his kingdom, that reflects his nature, his goodness, his power. Over and over and over again, we see this in Scripture, and it keeps coming back to this very thing. And we are made in the image of God, which means we are creative by nature. Did you know that that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God? What does our God do? He creates. Now, he creates from nothing. He's the only one that can do that. We have to create from something. We have to have a beginning point. God has to have no beginning point. He can create, you know, from absolutely nothing. He can say there, you know, let it be, let there be light, and light just appears from nothing. But we are still creative by nature. You take a child and give them a piece of paper, and what do they do? They start drawing their pictures. They start creating. You put two children together, and what do they do? They start playing imaginary games. They start creating a reality with which they can play and, and socialize together. It is in our nature to create. Now, the question comes, did what we are creating, is it reflecting the kingdom of God or the brokenness of this world? Because we're going to create something. We're, it's too hardwired within us. And so if we are to glorify God in our lives then what we produce through our lives will reflect God. It will point back to him at every turn, every time. Now, will it do it perfectly? No, because we're not perfect. But don't ever let the fact that you are a sinful, broken human keep you from producing fruit. You know, sometimes we, we want things to be so perfect that if it can't be perfect, we don't do anything. Oh, wow. Water appeared. <laughs> Don't let things that aren't perfect keep you from producing what is good. Because I, sometimes we do that. You know, if, if it can't be completely right, if it can't be everything we want it to be, then we would just, we don't move at all. And God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to move forward in life. He wants us to produce. Now, listen to, to this passage in, in 1 Corinthians 3. Okay, this is Paul uh, talking about how his apostolic ministry started and how others worked together to produce. But it says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So what he's saying is that God is paying attention to what we create in this world. Now there's one foundation, that is Jesus Christ. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is who he is, his work. We cannot lay any other foundation. So if we want to build something that matters at all, we have to start with the correct foundation. But once we have that foundation, 
Even after that, what we build matters. What we are producing on that foundation matters. And Paul tells us, he says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. He says, if anyone builds on the foundation with what? Gold, silver, precious stones. I mean, these are resources that are valuable. And then he takes a turn. He says, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Now, one of these isn't like the other. And what he's saying is that we can end up building things in this world, even for the kingdom of God, that are not truly based in eternity, and thus, when the storms come, when troubles hit, they get burned up. When the fire testing comes, it will be burned up, and it doesn't last. And he says, our goal, basically through what he tells us here, our goal is to produce something that will withstand the fire, that it is still there. It'll be purified, it'll be changed, but when that fire comes, that it's still standing and it's still there. And he says, that is where we receive a reward from God because we produced something. We produced the fruit that he is looking for. He is the, the, the vineyard owner in this, that he is coming and he looks at our lives and he is looking for fruit. So what is that? That is the fruit of faith. You know, we walk by faith and not by sight. What does that mean? The fruit of faith is we walk by faith, not by sight. That means that our bearings in this life, everything that, through which we make decisions, our worldview, how we filter information, what we consider important, is all based on what we believe about Jesus Christ and not on what we see, think, or feel to be true based on this world. He's looking for that fruit in our lives because that is the fruit that can withstand the fire. And in fact, it kind of shines the brightest in the fire, doesn't it? Also, he is looking for justification. Okay, justification, that is where God declares us not guilty. That is what happened at the cross when Jesus Christ died in our place. He took our sin on himself He paid the price so that we could be declared not guilty of our own sins in God's sight. And when we accept that justification, when we believe in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the love of God becomes real to us. And as we talked about last week, gratefulness fills the heart because of salvation. Justification leads to gratefulness because we understand what God has done for us. And then we have the fruit of sanctification that happens. And that is where the love of God leads to the love of neighbor. You see, for us to be mature Christians in this world, one of the things we all have to come to understand, and it's a difficult thing, is to start to see the love of God and the love of neighbor as the same thing that cannot be separated. See, in our minds, we want to separate them, right? He's like, yeah, I love God, I love God, but, you know, people, eh. Except what are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, not, not or, <laughs> and love your neighbor as yourself. They can't be separated. And the more we love God, and the more we understand him and walk with him, the more we're going to love our neighbor, the more we're going to love people. 
There, there is no separating the two. And for some reason, we've been willing to do that in the American church over really the last 50, 60 years. It's kind of a, you know, me and God, we're good, and it's my relationship to God. But God says, if you're going to do this, it's not just my relationship to him, it's my relationship to him and my relationship to my neighbor. That's it. You cannot separate the two. And so the love of God, his heart becomes our heart. And as his heart becomes our heart, the fruit of the Spirit begins to show in our lives. When someone describes the work and temperament of a mature Christian, it will always include some form of the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to think of the most mature Christian you've ever met, the person who influenced you the most, and if you had to describe them, would it include words like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? It always does. Every time we encounter a Christian who is, who's just one of those that, that loves God, loves people, and you spend 10 minutes with them and you know you're loved, you can't help it, and, and everybody that talks about them, they all seem to use the same words to describe them. And that is what? The fruit of the Spirit. This is what God is looking for when he comes to see, are my people producing the fruit that they should produce? This is it. This is what he wants from us. Now here's the thing. This is something we can't force to happen. You can't make this happen in your life under your own power. How many have kind of, you, you reach that point where you understand that? You know, every Christian kind of goes through these phases in life and they see the fruit of the Spirit and it's like, okay, I've got to be more loving. I've got to be more patient. God, make me patient right now. And we, and we try and we, we, we white-knuckle it and we just try to force it as much as we can and we just realize we can't and it wears us out no 12-step program, there is no six-step program, there is no amount of effort that is going to make and guarantee these things happen in your life under your own power. It is only given by God. And that's why it's so important, because the fruit that we produce in life, fruit reveals connection. It shows what we are connected to. You see, as we go through life, we connect ourselves to things. You know, I remember uh, I didn't know a whole lot about my Smith family history. Uh, my grandfather died before I was born, and there just weren't a whole lot of connections to that side of the, uh, the family uh, that I knew about. So I got really interested in family history, and I was able to meet several older cousins that knew all about my family history. And... I was talking with one, uh, one cousin, she was, she was a good bit older, and my dad and I went in and sat down and we're talking to her about things, and as soon as we sat down and started talking, she goes, oh, I can tell you're Smith. And I said, really? And she goes, oh yeah, the way you walk, the way you talk, you sat down in here, it's just like what I'm, I, that's it. You see, there, there are things that, that sh reveal who we are that we can't get away from, that, that it's who we are. And the closer we walk with God, the more he changes our nature inside so that it begins to reflect who he is. 
it reveals who we are connected to. Now, if we're connected to the world, what are we going to get? Because we're all connected to something. And the fruit of our lives, or even the lack thereof, will reveal that connection. Listen to John 15, 4 through 5. It says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, isn't that encouraging? Apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, there's part of it that's like, really, nothing? He says, nothing. You see, one of the, the great things that, that brings freedom, freedom from legalism, freedom from the, the struggle of trying to force something that we can't force, is understanding that we bring nothing to the table with God. We bring nothing. We can produce nothing. Now, is that, you know, let us off the hook of like, well, then fruit isn't my responsibility. No, fruit reveals your connection. And so if you are connected to God and you are walking with him, he'll make it happen. He will change your heart and you will become more loving. You will become more joyful. You will become more thankful. You will become more self-controlled and more gentle in life. It's a process that we can't force, but if we're walking with him, we also don't stop it. It just happens. But apart from him, Jesus says you can do nothing. So let me ask you this. When we try to do things on our own, anything that arises from our own strength, has one inevitable outcome. And you know what that is? It's the work of the flesh. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now what does evident mean? It means they're easy to spot. You're not going to have to look hard for them. You're not going to have to, to wonder whether or not that's it. it. It's right there. It's out in the open. And any time we try to produce righteousness from our own strength, this is the result. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the reason he says that is because if this is the consistent fruit of your life, you're not connected to God. You're not connected to Jesus. And so, obviously, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God because Jesus is the one true foundation. Now, when we, we, we really internalize this, we realize he's not just giving a list of, hey, here's the bad things to avoid and the fruits of the Spirit, here's the good things to do. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the fruit that, produces, that, that comes from your life becomes evident of what you're connected to. So let me ask you this. Does your Christianity make you angry? Does it wear you out and make you tired and... Make you, make you hate people? If it does, guess what? That's a work of the flesh. That's not a work of the Spirit. If, if your 
religious practices literally beat you down and make you so tired that you can't stand life, that's not God. Now, if you're suffering from that, if that is what it feels like to you, then I want you to hear the good news that that's not what God wants for you. God wants you to be free. He wants the fruit of the Spirit to, to, to be evident in your lives. Love, joy, peace. Who wants more of that in their lives? That's the promise of God. He says, I'll give you that. And so again, Paul isn't telling us, hey, make sure these bad things are out of your life. He's saying if these things are in your life, then it's proof that you're trying to do things under your own power. It's proof you're trying to do things under your own power and you're not doing it by faith. And so, what is it that we got to do? Well, first, we've got to let go of what is unfruitful. Now, this can be hard because sometimes this can feel like a, a very personal thing, like we are, are losing a part of ourselves. You know, it's like where, where Jesus said, you know, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it, you know, cut it off and throw it away. Now, of course, obviously, he was using hyperbole there, but he's saying, be willing to separate from yourself everything which does not produce godly fruit. Be willing to go to whatever extreme length is required and it may and will at some point feel like a personal assault. Now, how many here know what I'm talking about? How many have ever been like, God, you are attacking me? Because it feels like he's like against you. But really what it is is we've connected ourselves to something that is not of him and as he starts to pull it away from us, we feel a sense of loss because we have not yet felt the life on the other side of it. You see, what has to happen for resurrection to happen? What has to happen first? Something has to die. And what does he say? He says, you have to deny yourself. You have to die to self, which means there is a death literally inside of us that is involved for us to experience the fruit of the Spirit. We have to die to self-reliance first. We have to die to being in control first. We have to die to living for ourselves first. And I don't know about you, but none of those things is easy to die for. A death, what happens? Things start to, to, to rebel against it. Our spirit starts to fight against it. It doesn't want to die. It doesn't want to let it go. And it starts to fight back. And we have to be willing to go through the process of letting it die so that God can now bring life on the other side. And so we have to be willing to let go of that which is unfruitful in our lives. And, and the reason is that we don't want to waste ourselves, our life, and our resources on that which is unfruitful. Now, what does the landowner say when he comes and looks at the tree. It says, for three years I've come and looked for fruit on this tree and it isn't happening. And then he says what? Cut it down. Cut it down. Now that may sound harsh, but you know what? This, this vineyard owner is in, the, is in the business of doing what? Producing fruit. And he says, if this thing isn't going to produce fruit, I'm done with it. Cut it down. 
Now, we have to adopt that same attitude in our lives as we look at our, our lives and say, you know what, what is producing the, the, the desired fruit and what is not? And if it is not producing the desired fruit, what do we got? We got to have the attitude of the, the vineyard owner and say, cut it down. Just get rid of it. Because we have one life to live for God on this planet, right? We got one. Let's not waste it on stuff that is going to be burned up in the day of judgment and revealed as, well, you, you built something that couldn't withstand the test. And we know if it doesn't withstand the test, if it's not producing the fruit of God in our lives, if it's not producing the, the fruit of salvation in our lives and in the lives of people around us. And, and he says something else. He doesn't just say cut it down. He says what? Why should it use up the ground? There is a limited amount of resources that each and every one of us has in life. And when we start to look at, you know what, I've got, a, I got a, a family, I've got a marriage to maintain, I've got children to, to, to raise and to love and, and, and to, you know, do the best I can to, to send someone out into the world that is equipped to be a, a force for God in this world and a force for good. And then I have a job that I've got to do well and I've got to glorify God in. We start to realize the, re the, the extra resources we have are very limited. If we're going to glorify God in all of these areas that are truly important, we really can't be giving our energies to that which is going to use up the ground, use up the resources, and not produce. Because he don't think of this tree in this parable as, you know, one tree sitting there all by itself, and that's it, in, in isolation. What did he say? He said, this is a vineyard. There are grapevines, there are trees, there's a whole lot of growth and life and fruit being produced here. And then it's like he's walking around, and he's like, why is this tree not producing? Everything else is producing, because that's his job. That's what he does. And he says, why should it use up the ground? Because water that hits the ground, that tree is taking that water from the plants that are producing fruit and thus affecting their ability to produce fruit. Now, have you ever thought about that? When we connect ourselves to something that does not produce fruit for the kingdom of God, we could not only and probably are not only hampering our own ability to produce fruit, but now we're probably hurting other people's ability to produce fruit too. Because if I am called to love my neighbor as myself, and as Galatians says, I'm called to bear their burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, if I am connecting myself to something that is not of the kingdom of God, and I'm getting the works of the flesh, and that means division, anger, that puts me at odds with my neighbor. Now my neighbor doesn't get the benefit of what I could bring to their lives to help them produce fruit. And so I'm not only shorting myself, I'm shorting my neighbor. I'm shorting them. I'm keeping them from being able to live the life God wants them to live. And, you know, I honestly believe God's patience in this is not unlimited. God is very patient, but his patience does have a limit. God won't just allow things to go forever and, and not produce fruit and, and, you know, have things happen that just don't 
meet his standards, he will not allow it to go on indefinitely and eternally. In fact, we read in the book of Revelation, what do we find? There's a day when he's going to judge everybody, and he's like, you know what? It's all over. My patience is out, and it is time for judgment, which means this is a call now for us to look at our lives and the fruit that we are producing. And if we're not producing, we need to be willing to cut it loose. You see, God's patience is not unlimited. Listen again, it says, And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. So for three years he's fed it, he keeps going. I mean, he, he does have patience. And then the, vine, you know, the, the gardener says, Hey, let's give it one more year. Give it one more year. We'll do everything necessary. Uh, I'll fertilize it. I'll dig a trench. I'll do everything that I'm supposed to do to, to you know, do everything. Give it every chance to produce fruit. But then if it doesn't, cut it down. Which leads us to ask ourselves a question. If we're not producing fruit at a level that we want to, at a level that we believe God wants us to, it may be that you're simply not healthy. You see, the the gardener in this says, let's give it one more year, and he takes extra steps to feed it, fertilize it, to make sure it's getting everything it needs. Can you in your life right now say, you know what? I am truly connected to God. I am walking with Him. I am feeding myself regularly on the Word of God, and I am worshiping, and I am fellowshipping, and I am doing the things that lead to health. Because if not, if you can look at your life and say, you know what? Maybe I do need to spend more time in Scripture. Maybe I do need to serve more. Maybe I've been soaking up Scripture for years, but, you know, I've never really stepped into the arena of service. Maybe that's where you're at, and you're at that one more year thing where it's like, you know what, you, you're right on the verge of really taking a big step in life, but you've got to do it. You've got to take that step. Because Jesus himself, I mean, he told us this parable, but even when he sent his disciples out two by two to go tell, speak of the kingdom of God, and he gave them power over demons, and I mean, amazing thing happened while he was out. Even he gave them instructions that they weren't to cling to things that were dead, that they were not to just try to force life where it wasn't going to happen. They were to move on from it. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 11 through 15. It says, in whatever town or village you enter, as he's sending them out, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. What did Jesus do? He said, look, if, there, if there's no free, move on. Don't, don't just keep trying to force something in your life that, that isn't going to produce the fruit that God wants, that isn't drawing you closer to God. He says, shake the dust off and move on. Go where there's fruit. Go where there's life. Now look at your own life like that. What in your life is maybe not 
bringing the fruit. And maybe we just keep trying to force it. Because we can do that, can't we? I mean, anybody in here done that besides me? You know, we just kind of get locked into a way of thinking. It's like, it needs to be like this. And God's like, no, it, it really doesn't. Just follow me and go ahead, let go of it. I remember doing a, a couple's retreat once. And there was one couple at this retreat that uh, this man's dad and family had, had really quite chauvinistic in, in a lot of ways. And his mom had pretty much been mistreated for most of the marriage and what he saw growing up. Well, when he got married, his wife didn't so much appreciate being treated like his dad treated his mom. And he couldn't quite understand it. And as we started to go through, you know, some of the issues, and, and me as their pastor, and we started talking about it, you know, she was able to articulate, and he started to understand what it was. But he's, and he said, well, but this is the way I've always done it. This is just how I understand it. And he was being honest. He wasn't making excuses. He was just saying, this is all I understand. And I said, well, it's time to learn something new. It's time to learn something new. Your marriage does not have to be like your parents' marriage. In fact, I hope it's not. And it was really a difficult moment for this guy because he was a good guy. He, he, he didn't have ill intent, and he wasn't intentionally mistreating his wife in, in that sense. But his training had been bad. And it was time to shake the dust off and learn something new. Where are you at in life right now that maybe it's time to learn something new? To allow God's fruitfulness to come through instead of waiting and hoping fruit will come from something that it hasn't yet and it probably won't. Maybe it's time to just cut it down, let it go, and, and allow your heart to move to a new place where God has room to do a new work. See, I want to close with, with two questions for you. What gets my best in life? What you give, what gets your best? Is it, is it something that is honoring to God? Does it reflect the kingdom of God? And, and look, there's a whole lot. Don't, don't limit this because your family should, should get your best. And that is honoring God. To love your family and, and to lift them up, that is honoring to God. That's what he wants. So don't think that I'm telling you, you know, you've got to like live at church and be here all the time. I, I don't want that. I want you honoring God at every step. And you can find out if it's worthy of your best by asking the question, does it save lives? Because at the end of the day, isn't that what we're about in the church? Saving lives? I mean, it really is. I'm about to trip. My shoe came untied. I keep stepping on my shoelace. So if I take a header off of here, you'll know why. <laughs> Somebody saved my life. Uh, you see, we are called to save lives. It, it really is. To love your neighbor as yourself means to what? To fill in a gap that maybe love is lacking in their lives and you have something to give to them. To tell people of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the ultimate in saving lives, right? I mean, we want people to come to know him and be born again so that they can live for all of eternity. That is saving lives. Loving other people saves lives. Helping people saves lives. And, and so I want you to look at your life and ask these two questions. What gets my best in this life? 
And does it save lives? Because that is the fruit that God is looking for. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. God, I just thank you for each person in here. And God, I pray that you lead us. God, lead us to the place where we are fruitful. Where the fruit of our lives, what we produce, God, saves lives. That it reflects your kingdom. God, that that which doesn't produce life, but is a work of the flesh and leads to that that frustration and division and anger of the works of the flesh, God, that, that we would be willing to cut it down so that it doesn't use up the resources of our lives. Father, I pray as we go into this Christmas season, God, and, and the busyness and, God, just the, the chaos of our world right now, God, I pray that we find our center and our focus in you. That we experience the, the fruit of the Spirit that is peace because we are walking with you. God, that our hearts would not be troubled, that we would be at peace, that we would love one another, and that we would reflect your kingdom in this world no matter the circumstances. Father, be with each person as they leave from from this place. And God, bless our efforts as we go through the week. God, bless us as we seek to glorify you, that our connection to you would grow and that the fruit of the Spirit would appear. Father, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful week, and we will see you next week.